you know. I come and I see a new face once in a while, but you know, it's just plain beautiful to know we're all in the family of God. And we have that privilege to share. And I have that opportunity to do what you have. That is, I remember there's a commandment called the New Commandment. What does that New Commandment say? Love one another. And we have that opportunity to share in that. And uh, I've been loving it up this uh, week, even though I haven't felt great. Uh, I mean, we just had a great time in the conference. And, uh, And we're thankful. And so, uh, since I'm here on the, in the pulpit, uh, there are a bunch of people at Valley in o- uh, Oregon that uh, told me to tell everybody to say hello. And I said, come on, you know, just come to the conference. You can say hello for yourself <laughs> on it. And you know what they say in Oregon about that? If they have it in... February, it would be better. (laughs) You know, we could snowbird then. But anyway, uh, we have some wonderful saints. And we share in many, many different ways. uh, With many, in many things. And so as we relate to some of these uh, truths that we're sharing, um, I wasn't sure, and, and I'm doing something different from what I normally do. Uh, when was the last time that I didn't hand out notes? A couple centuries ago. Before the printing press, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because I do, I mean, I do a lot of writing and do a lot of things like that uh, with it, and. As uh, we got to the conference time and working with the conference and getting set up for PowerPoint and that kind of thing, uh, it kind of got me in the in a corner in a sense uh, because I'm getting younger. Oh, oops, that's wrong. Uh, I just, I mean, I didn't have get have as much time to get what I wanted done. Now, I I want to say something to you about. Uh, some of my experiences, I, I uh, by experiences, uh, I've been in ministry for most of my life. Now you say, how can you do that? I was raised in the pastor's home. That meant that I saw everything that went on in the pastor's family, even though my parents tried to protect me from some of the stuff that goes on in uh churches that are supposed to be Bible-believing. And so I learned a lot, and I had no idea why God wanted me to be in a pastor's home. And I went through a whole lot of things that involved experiential knowledge that I... Did I see a hand? Nope. (laughs) I I was going to say, I hadn't given an invitation yet. on that anyway uh, but being raised in that environment and you know every service every uh, every event 
be act, being active in every era of growing up in the church, it was a blessing, uh, and I didn't know what I was doing. And as I matured more and more, I found out that God was really doing some things. And it was funny, when I got into seminary, uh, teaching seminary, I found out why God wanted me to be in a pastor's home. Because he led me to do a class uh, in the seminary program, which we call Pastoral Problems and Procedures. And so... There was experiential knowledge of some of that uh, in seeing those things. And I kept thinking, um, maybe I was fit to do that class when many were not because I had been involved where I was. And uh, I've been really thankful to be there. Now, what time do I get? Uh, I get two hours, you see? Anyway... Yeah, well, um, I'm not going to say anything. When I say that, I already preached after this message last night, and I said, come back and we'll finish it. <laughs> then I realized I hadn't even been preaching it. I've got to get up here close to this. Okay. When, I, when Courtney asked me, I didn't know where I wanted to stop. I have games I want to play here, in a sense. Uh as far as scripture. You know, the most important thing that as believers we have is that absolutely certainty that we have uh, the right truth to be saved. You know, it's really interesting. We live in a world where people have more kinds of plans of salvation then there are nuts in New York City. Uh, it's just, I mean, there, there's so many different things that you can do to be saved, and none of them are true. And so it was interesting because, and I've been there because um, I had to question. I, I believe the gospel, I'm sure, when I was five years old. And my, my salvation story is, I was just gloriously saved. I didn't have to be a drunk to be gloriously saved. I didn't have to be a crook. I didn't have to be any of that. When God saved me, it was glorious no matter what, and that's the way you got saved. And I grew with that generation that says, when you get saved, you're gloriously saved because God changed your relationship to eternity. And so that whole matter, at five years old, you, you say, what happened? I was a preacher's kid. My dad privileged me to go to a youth rally. Um, at that age, I really think it was a Youth for Christ rally. And we took people from the church. And the preacher's kid was able to go with the teenagers. That's privilege. You know, a five-year-old and we went and delivered the kids and everything, and my dad pulled into the garage. And he stopped, and he asked me what I thought of the message. And I thought, 
I've already had my fun. What do I need to know about this message? And it was, I mean, it was kind of interesting because uh, at that point in time, I knew God did something in my life. And I knew I needed to believe that Christ died for my sins and was buried and rose again the third day. One of the sad parts of my life, my father preached my ordination. And he got up in that ordination service. And you know what he said? He broke my heart. He said, David says, I led him to the Lord and I don't remember it. <laughs> you know, that, that would you know shatter you, which it kind of did to me. But uh, it was a blessing to know that God knew what he was doing all along, and that's what counts. Okay, we read start in part of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 has 58 verses. In those 58 verses, we're not going to be able to go through them all. I, what I can tell you is this. Uh, you could probably start studying right now, and next year at this time, if you diligently study you might be able to figure it out down to the end of There is so much material in it. It's just loaded with all kinds of wonderful Bible doctrine. And, uh, and not, but that's where, I mean, it starts with the gospel. And over the years, I've been involved pretty extensively um, in writing materials that relate to the gospel. I've had all kinds of interesting little side ministries uh, where I've been able to relate to people and make sure the gospel is accurately presented. And um, it was, I mean, and they just fell in my lap. I mean, it was goofy. I mean, I say it was goofy. I went to New Orleans to hear Preservation Hall Jazz Band. That's not really sinful. Uh, Preservation Hall is Dixie, and I went to hear it. I, I, I like Dixie uh, jazz, and I went down, and I wanted another round of it, so I was walking down Bourbon Street, and I, as soon as I came around the corner, the street was, clo was closed, and it was full of kids packing Bibles and passing out tracks. And I thought, Lord, I have no idea why I'm here on Bourbon Street with these kids packing Bibles, but I know they're going to hit me. And that started this little ministry I've had for years now called Gospel Checker Ministries. And let me tell you how it started. And that is, first kid came up with me, offered me the track that they were handing out. I said, no, I don't need to try it, but let me introduce myself to you. I said, you don't know me, so let me just introduce myself. I said, I am the gospel checker. I am here to check and see if you know the gospel you need to believe to be saved. Now, that was kind of blew this kid away. I mean, these are college kids. And so I asked him, and... The rest of the night, I never got to uh, Preservation Hall. I ended up talking with these college kids, 
You want to know that of these college-age kids, not one of them was accurate in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ and needed to believe to be saved. Not one of them. I had a kid, uh, when I asked him, what is the gospel you need to believe? He took his paperback Bible and said, this is the gospel. I said, oh, I suppose when you sinned last, you went and slew a lamb. And, oh, no, 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 you know, (laughs) on that. And so uh, I said, would you like to me to show you what you need to believe to be saved? Standing in the middle, Bourbon Street. One side was uh, blues. The other side was Cajun. And they blast down there uh, in that part of the world. And uh, so I was uh, given this, I had, had him open his Bible and I had him reading it out loud. And I said, that's what God says, isn't it? Why? Because there's this little thing in here. And let's make sure we go to that. We're in First Corinthians 15. And that is, um, it's, I mean, where it, what it tells us is that, and I've got other things that I want to do with this, uh, but we have this privilege of believing and believing content. Believing what God says, and that's what I want to do. And uh, I'm, I'm leading off in an unusual way than I intended on it. But it says, this is the gospel through the agency of which you are saved. Now, I just translated it that way. It's a dia in the, in the Greek. Through the agency of which gospel, and that agrees in gender, number, and case, this gospel is what you need to be saved. If you did not believe the gospel, you're not saved. The bottom line. Okay. Now, the next click I want is the fact that we live in a day where a whole lot of people don't want to have the resurrection in the gospel. They do not want to include it. And if you insist in it, I get, every once in a while, I get flack from somewhere that I insist that you have the resurrection in the gospel. And I've gotten letters, I've gotten other things in that matter, and they say, you know, you're picky. I want to see people saved. I don't want to see the, the uh, you know, the, the uh, theme song of most churches is bringing in the tares. It's all, I mean, it is. They're bringing in the tares. They're not believers. And, I mean, I had a situation not too long ago where somebody got really angry with me when I said, uh, you didn't ask Jesus into your heart. Your dirty old rotten heart doesn't uh, is not a place you'd want to come into, because that's a bad interpretation. I mean, you you go to uh, to uh, Revelation three twenty. That has nothing to do with a heart's door. And I was raised on that, and that I mean, which was interesting. Okay, let's read, and I'm going to read, and uh, I'm going to read selected verses first. And that is, I'm going to start in 15, 
And I need to read verse 1, just because verse 1 is really clean. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I gospelized unto you, which you have received and wherein ye stand. You see what I just did? I translated it so maybe you could catch the picture. What it says, I mean, it actually says the good news, which I good news to you. I mean, it's, I mean, it's very it's strong. The gospelized is, means good news. Eulongidzo, E-U is the, begin, uh, the prefix, it means good. And uh, angelo, that sound like a familiar word? Angel is a messenger. And an angel is the message of the gospel. And so that helps us understand. And so we look at it, and it's right here. You have the word gospel twice. He says he preached it. Uh, that means he pre presented or he gospelized it. I mean, there's no question that he was delivering this very specifically as it was. And when he says, through which you are in a state of being saved. When you were saved by faith in Christ through the gospel, what happened? You were in a, placed in a state of permanent salvation. And so we call a perfect tense verb here. You're in a state. You can't lose something that God gave you. And so you, you, uh, it's yours. It's the most precious thing that any human being can have is salvation through faith in Christ. That's the most important thing. Now, let me go on and read. I, I just uh, get too com uh, too, made too much commentary. By which also you are saved. There we are, through which agency you're saved. If you happen to keep in memory that what I gospelized unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Hmm. Vain. That's the first occurrence of vain in here. Let's read on down and we'll pick up some more veins. Go down to verse 10. Verse 10 says, but, the, by the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but also the grace of God which was with me. That's the second vein. Now, let's continue. And uh, let's go down to verse 14. We have two veins in verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. It's not worth preaching. It's vain. And I'm going to come back and talk about that. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, some of you have interlinears. But it's kind of a little tricky when you realize every time you see that word vain, it's not always the same Greek word. And I want to show that to you on it. And so in 14, it says, Our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. We are saved by God by grace through faith. 
And when he saved us and we believed, it was, again, don't forget, it's by God. God saved you. He would not even consider you contributing anything to your salvation. How can you replace perfection? You can't. When we understand that. And so you have vain twice in verse 14. Uh, Then jump down to verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith, here we're running into this word for faith, is vain. It's It's vain. Let's read it that way. Uh, And you are yet in your sins. Okay, so you've got vain again. And like I say, you don't know, unless you were looking at it on here, that we're reading different Greek words with different emphases. Oh, I can't resist it. I don't want to, I'm eager to get to this. This word vain here is useless. Your faith is useless. It's of no purpose. It's good for nothing. Is what that is. It's matthios is our word there on that. And so that's verse 17. Let's go clear back to the end of the chapter. And I think it's beautiful. The end of chapter, last verse, 58. And what does it say? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be, all, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not, it's not vain. Again, here we are working with Greek words that mean little different things. Okay, let me give you the three, um, the three words and uh, what do I want to do? I want to encourage you if you have a Bible marker or something to mark these because it's very easy to get confused with them. You have that first word when it says in verse 2 that your uh, faith is without an object. I-K is a word. And it means you don't have... I mean, you say, um, I believe in Christ. Only you're believing over here instead of over here. Don't you appreciate that verse that probably was part of what God used to save you? When he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I didn't put the thou shalt. And so you will be, he just simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the object. It's not some rigmarole that you have to go through in order to believe. You just have to recognize there is a person that makes a difference. And as we mature in the Lord, we love him more and more every day. You know, I think it's, it's so much fun. I, I, I thought as a kid that I would never be as eager as I was then to see the, meet the Lord in the air. I didn't think I'd ever be any, I mean, and I have this thing I say at Valley, and that is, I just walk a foot off the ground, I'm that ready. I'm ready to get caught up and meet the Lord in the air. Why? Oh, my body is so bad, I want to get rid of the problem. No, 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 no. I want to see Him. I want to see Him. 
took me a while to get in to make an adjustment in that matter. Um, my wife went to heaven 20 years ago, and uh, when she when she died, um, it was you know there was a definite. I could hardly wait to see her again. But you know, as the time has gone on. I want to see the one she will be able to see more than her. And it's awesome when you start thinking about it. You see the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't think we're going to be easily distracted, distracted with people that we know and love. You know, I just really can't fathom that. When he comes on it, I've been having a good time in... Uh, a series that I'm doing right now at Valley on uh, the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. Very interesting revelation in those ten appearances. And there's going to be more than that uh, because we've got to get Paul and we've got to get some others. But when I think about it, he's the one I can hardly wait to see. And I would like to think when we're talking about some of that that we get through a message there are a lot of other people who just can hardly wait to get out that door just in case they don't have to go through the ceiling. You know, I mean, we're just eager. And in the reality of loving our Savior, remember there's a crown for those who love His appearing. You love it and you can hardly wait for it. And... Uh, that's kind of what it's about. Okay, I-K is that word, and and uh, what I what it led. What do I want to do here? I-K. Um, there, what what I want to tell you to put by there is uh, without a plan. No, no plan, no object. You're you're not get, you're not getting substance with that word. Uh, that word happens to occur seven times in the Greek New Testament. And uh, that's the, I mean, that, that whole idea. As we will, he'll be our total focus. It should be our total focus. And I honestly think when you got saved and when I got saved, the reason he's, God saved me is so that I could have my focus on my Lord. I really think that's what the story is. The more, the more we know him, the better we know him, the more familiar we are with him, the more that his spirit can use us in manifesting eternal life. I always think it's interesting when you realize that we reflect eternal life, which is Jesus Christ, as mirrors. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. And that reflection takes place. Okay, that's number one. And that the IK only occurs here. Uh, in uh, okay, fifteen. I just went clear back to the back and got myself in trouble. Um, now let's go on down, and I want to point them out to you. Uh, when we get the next vein, it's down in verse ten. In verse ten, it says. Uh, upon me was not in vain. The grace was not in vain. That word for vain means empty. 
empty. It wasn't empty. It had content. It had substance. And so the grace has substance. And when we have grace that is substance, it sustains us. When we understand that. And so when we share the gospel, if the resurrection is there, it's easy. And so here you have the idea of being empty. Now, in verse 14, you have two veins, and both of those are empty. In verse 14, it says, vain. See, what we're doing, we're looking at words, and you've got three different Greek words, and you've got all of these uh, English words, and it's no wonder people are confused. And uh, I try to help. I've taught in seminary for years. And I've tried to help people help other people understand this kind of thing. Because it becomes very important. And so you have the two vain words, empty words here in verse 14. And then uh, I mentioned, I wasn't going to do it, but I did in verse 17. The word vain there is uh, useless. Not good for a design purpose, it's metaios. Is the name that, uh, and uh, so when you see that, and other, you know what, we're, what I'm trying to say here. That is, if you leave the gospel, uh, leave the resurrection out of the gospel, it isn't worth anything. Sayonara. Because if you take and you remove the resurrection, there's no hope. Absolutely no hope. And so, don't be unhappy if you think that somebody's picking on you because you're insisting on that they need to believe the resurrection. You're in good company, by the way. Good company? Okay. Second Timothy. Let's go over there just to check the company out. This is kind of brutal when we come over here to Second Timothy two. That's Second Tim- Timothy, if I can get there, uh, chapter two, and uh, the verses. And I always have trouble knowing where I want to break these when I come in. I'm going to start at seven. It kind of gives you a little feel for context. And in Second Timothy two seven, what does it say? It says, Consider what I say, uh, and the Lord give the understanding of all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised out from among dead ones according to my gospel. He was raised out from among dead ones, and Paul says, according to my gospel. Now that sounds like that was easy. Don't read the next verse if you don't want to have an unpleasant experience. Here's your unpleasant experience in the next verse. Wherein I, Paul, suffer trouble. I suffer that which is bad. I suffer trouble because, uh, as an evildoer, even to the extent of bonds, jailhouse, And he said, 
I suffer because I insist that the resurrection is part of the gospel. You get beat up a little bit because you insist on it. Be grateful. You joined the party of Paul because that's what's happened. And uh, so that's what he's describing here. But you know, I like the last part. It says, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake uh, that they may also obtain salvation which is uh, by Christ Jesus uh, for eternal glory. And so Paul suffered this for insisting that the resurrection be part of the gospel. It's, it's, it's like the ocean. There, you keep finding people that are eager to take away the resurrection from the gospel. And they are vicious. They are just downright mean-spirited. When you say you've got to believe in the resurrection to be saved. And they, they'll beat you up like they were trying to beat up Paul. They might not throw you in jail. Maybe they probably would like to. I've often said in this world we live in that uh, we would have more Stalinists if it wasn't for the Second Amendment. Because if they could get away with killing people they don't like, they would be killing people right and left. And there are people that, that would do that because you insist you've got to believe in the resurrection to be saved. That's kind of an interesting problem, isn't it? So, why did I throw this material, I mean, put this material in here? I could say, you have fun with this. If, if the Holy Spirit challenged you to study this for a year, uh, take the challenge. It's a great challenge. But uh, what is intriguing is uh, I've done this over and over and over and I still am getting flack. I've had, I've had students that have had all kinds of uh, problems, persecution because they insist on that. I'd rather be persecuted for truth been persecuted for a lie. And so that's exactly what we need to realize. So when you give the gospel to someone, it's not that complicated. How could you have good news if it just ended with death? You know, death is not exactly good news. It's kind of the end, but resurrection is definitely good news. And so when we think in this term, I mean, I, I read these guys and they drive me nuts. Because they uh, are determined uh, to, well, they've got other factors in their salvation plans. And like I said when I was mentioned it earlier, uh, too often... The Church of Jesus Christ has a theme song of bringing in the tares. Remember, tares smell like, look like, but are not the real McCoy. They just look that way. And uh, look at how many churches around 
have a great crowds of tares. And in some of those churches, they don't know where Christ is. He's never been there. And so we need to kind of remember that. So this whole idea of, see, I didn't get a time. What time am I supposed to be through? You still have Pacific time. <laughs> Noon. Noon. <laughs> well, that means I've got three hours. <laughs> yeah. And I have fun because I'm thinking about this. Uh, Matt Ross is filling the pulpit for me today. And uh, Matt is one of our grads. And uh, we go back a long ways. We go back a long ways with Matt <laughs> and his dad. And Kevin and Joyce were out. They went to lunch with Matt and his dad. And, you know, it's just fun. I just revel in the grace of God. This He keeps on doing stuff. And I would love to see Matt in a pulpit. Uh and when it's God's timing, we probably will find him there on it. But anyway, um, so when we relate to this thing, the resurrection is essential. And if I went and I gave you a list of people that you know that have plans of salvation that are based on heresy, Some people would get mad at me because I read their stuff and I keep saying, why would you ever want to go to their church when there's nobody, I mean, there's no gospel given? It's pretty bad when I have to tell somebody, we're looking for a church. Well, find out if they preach the gospel or not and uh, teach it and uh, they get in trouble. Because they want to get the gospel accurately presented and people give them flack. That's not good on it. But when we relate to this, and as a result, uh, anytime you share, just get in that routine where you give, I mean, you give the gospel, do it right out of 1 Corinthians 15. Just give it clean. You know, Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. And he was buried, which is proof that his work was done. You don't bury somebody that didn't die. But he rose again, and there's the good news. The tomb is empty. And not to be occupied again. Then you take that personally. That tickled your gizzard, won't it? When you take it personally. Because it is so precious when we think about it. And that matter. <coughs> on that. So, anyway. Um, I'm, I'm an advocate for being accurate in the gospel, obviously. And it's amazing to me. Now, see what I didn't do. I was going to start out today. And I was going to say, I want you to think about what the resurrection chapter is in the Bible. And I didn't do it. 
and then when uh, and say don't say anything until we count to three and then you can give me the chapter and then everybody would have said first Corinthians 15 and I'll say no it's not you realize first Corinthians 15 is a passage that says it's necessary to have the resurrection in the gospel that whole chapter is there to prove it I mean that's the whole thing it tells you and with all the details and it has all kinds of weird stuff in it I say weird I taught uh, Corinthian epistles for years and years and years and I thought I always got tired of teaching uh, the baptism for the dead thing you know the Mormon passage I get, I got tired of that a little bit but anyway so here we are when we look at this I mean this part of scripture if you have a little bit of time and you want to sit down and uh, I cover the vain words vain is stark vain if it's empty it's stark if it's useless it's stark if it's without the target it's still stark and those are your primary three words and they're here in what we looked at on it and so when we we think about those uh, the resurrection takes away the starkness that's what it does it's not stark anymore because we know we have a living savior and that should make a difference I didn't intend to run this short that first part of the message I did last night was uh, what I didn't cover no on it but anyway you can get some ideas where we are with it and uh, when we talk about this to people um, one reason I was on this I, I, I write I write it probably a lot more than a lot of people do um, I've written thousands of pages literally and uh, it's interesting I started to write because I had a big problem that I ran into with somebody that said you don't need the resurrection for the gospel and it was from a well-known group of do I want to call them fundamentalists I don't think so I think I'll call them just evangelicals and I really wonder if they're really saved because they don't want the, God, the uh, resurrection so anyway I started to write it could become a booklet um, and it's you know like 125 pages uh, and all I'll do is stir up trouble I, I tend to do that when I write I mean I I'm writing script writing about scripture and going through it uh, based on Greek exegesis and so that's what happens but what we've done here is I've just touched a couple things here uh, and it should be be a lot of fun salvation is so awesome it's so awesome when you realize that Jesus Christ is alive and well at the right hand of the Father. This is commercial time. And if you're a saint, 
you are in Christ seated at the right hand of God the Father as a resurrected one. Because he rose, you rose. Because he counts it that way. And that's a privilege. We're going to take a whole eternity arm wrestling. We're just, I mean, it, I, I am fascinated with the way my mind works and I just, I don't know how I'm going to exist in eternity because uh, my innate curiosity and my, my interest in so many things. But it's kind of, wonder, it's wonderful when I realize because he rose. Sounds like a song that the Gaithers wrote, but it didn't say rose. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And he is alive and well. And when we share that news, that's the good news. Some people say, well, if you're enthusiastic about that, there's no reason not to be enthusiastic. So, anyway, uh, I ran a little short, I think. But that uh, that will work. Uh, there's more gas in my tank. I would be doing better on it. But anyway, so uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we will move on. Thank you, Father, for your word. Most of all, we're thankful that you tell us what you expect for someone to be saved. And when you give the gospel, it's that agency by which we are saved. It's not something we conjure up or because some well-known author wrote something instead of finding it in the Bible. We appreciate the fact that our Savior, and we're counted to be in him, and that is he died for our sins and we participated in that. Uh, he was buried and we're counted as participating in that and he rose again the third day and we're counted as co-participants in that very thing. And uh, we don't deserve it. But all we can say is, thank you. In Christ's name, amen.